Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, you want to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 13. We are continuing on our series on the parables. This is week number five. Appreciate what, what Brian Hogwarf uh, brought to our attention and Joanna as well. You know, sometimes when we think about God, God's faithfulness and God answering our prayers, so often as we, as we consider those things, we, we think, Lord, the way that you're going to answer my prayer is going to be this way at this time, and it's going to turn out this way. I think so often as we encounter the Lord, as we walk with God, we find that God's purposes, God's plans for for redemption and restoration and reconciliation amongst people and amongst us with him looks different than the way we would have it to go. And sometimes that's frustrating. So sometimes as we call upon the Lord and we we proclaim that God is faithful, God's able, God's never going to forsake us, and then there's the waiting. There's the waiting and the waiting, and God, where are you? I thought you were going to show up. God, I know you're faithful, but right now it doesn't quite feel that way. And that may go on for days or weeks or months or years or sometimes decades. But for us as believers, the waiting is not like the waiting that we do at the doctor's office or in traffic, right, where it's just kind of mindless, disengaged waiting, as we just finally wait for our name to get called or for the traffic to start moving, it is a waiting in which we can engage and we can pursue and we can know the Lord. For the Christian, there is no such thing as like downtime waiting. It is actively engaged waiting where we encounter the Lord even in our waiting. Even as we wait for him to come through, even as we wait for him to show himself to be faithful, which he's promised to do. It's not always immediate. It's not on our time, usually. It's not the way that we'd have it done, usually. As we look through the pages of Scripture, if you sat down and you asked Joseph and Daniel and Moses and David and on and on and on, you can go almost every single person in Scripture. If you pulled them aside and said, hey, has God showed himself to be faithful? They would say, absolutely. Has it turned out the way that you thought it was going to turn out? They'd say, usually not. But God is faithful. He knows best. His ways can be trusted. His word is true. And he is good to his people. Always. All right. Let's let's pray as we turn to Matthew chapter 13 and invite the Lord and ask the Lord for his help as we dig into scripture. So Lord Jesus, God, we thank you this morning for the gift of your word. Lord, thank you that we don't have to wait in vain, God, but we anticipate, Jesus, your triumph and your your coming through and your showing yourself to be faithful, God. You've, You've made promises to us, and we can trust your promises. And so, Lord, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are eager to respond to you. Lord, that we wouldn't just sit back and disengage, but even now, Lord Jesus, we pray for your Holy Spirit 
God, to breathe new life into us. God, we pray that you would bring conviction and bring hope and repentance and faith and renewal. God, because we, we need you. God, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we talked about the invitation of celebration, where the king throws a huge party for the prince and sends out the invitations to all the, the land and different people respond in different ways. And one of the things that we said is that you don't have to murder a servant to miss God's invitation. And after the sermon, it was interesting because I talked to a few people after the sermon and said, man, it was, it was really hard to hear. And um, I just, it got me thinking, I hope as I, as I preach, as I share God's word with us this, these weeks, and this is, by the way, this is week number 400 as a church. So week number 400, which is amazing. I can't believe we made it that long. But um, and we still don't know what we're doing, but uh, we're, we're figuring it out as we go. But I thought, I don't ever want to be offensive for the sake of being offensive or trying to get attention or anything like that. My heart for us, my heart for you, is that you would encounter God's word in what it says and in the manner in which it's communicated in God's word. My words have no power in them whatsoever to change anyone's heart or desires or attitude. Nothing that I will ever speak in my own ability and my own strength and my own thoughts will ever bring life transformation. That is, the, that is the, purely the work and the, the prerogative of the Holy Spirit to bring about those changes. And so I hope as I, as, I, as I bring God's word to you these past 400 weeks, that I'm doing so in a way that, that esteems the word of God and God himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ far above my own abilities and my own strengths and my own opinions. So I just wanted to say that this morning. I, I don't ever want to just get up here and just try to be shocking or try to be controversial or try to get your attention with my own words, but hopefully the, the desire of my heart would be to faithfully communicate God's word to you every single week. No more, no less. All right, so as we dig into the parables this week, remember we talked about the parables. The parables, God has given us the parables and Jesus taught in parables to give us a moment to reflect and to provoke us to a response towards the Lord. So as Jesus is teaching, he's calling us to, to take a moment to pause and say, Lord, where am I at in this parable? What are you saying to me? Where, where, where am I engaging with you in this? And then Jesus' heart for us is that that would provoke us to a response towards the Lord. He's wanting us to respond towards the Lord. And so this week, we're going to look into this buried treasure and this pearl of great price that we see. Michael Sparks was visiting a Nashville thrift store where he bought a candle holder, a set of salt and pepper shakers, and a yellowed print of the Declaration of Independence. Sparks figured the document was worthless, a modern reprint, so he paid the asking price of $2.48 and headed home. 
After looking over the document for a few days, he wondered if it might be older than he initially thought. So he hopped on the internet to do some research and soon realized he had purchased only one of 200 official copies of the Declaration of Independence commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820. Of those 200 200 copies, 35 had been found intact. He had just purchased number 36. It took a year for Sparks to have the print authenticated and preserved. Then he put it up for auction, netting a final sale price of $477,650. The salt and pepper shakers, on the other hand, are still worthless. Right? Dumb luck. That was a total accident. He paid a whopping $2.48, and he discovered that he had purchased one of what remained 36 copies of the Declaration of Independence, right? Dumb luck, that doesn't happen very often. Now, let's look over at Matthew 13, verse 44, okay? And in this, we're going to see a similar situation with a guy who has complete dumb luck, all right? Jesus begins to teach the people, and he says in verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, you have to remember, in the first century Palestine, burying treasure was quite common in a country that was always under threat of invasion. So there's no... There's no offshore bank accounts to put your money in. There's no, you know, vaults for you to, to, to store your, your possessions in. Where would you put your stuff if you were constant threat of invasion and there was no other place for you to put it except in the ground, right? If you knew that you were going to be invaded on a semi-regular basis, people come in and plunder your nation, what else to do but bury your money, Think about the, the, the parable of the talents that Jesus gives, right? So to one guy, Jesus gives 10 talents. To another guy, the master gives five talents. To the other guy, the master gives one talent, right? What does the guy with one talent do? Buries it in the ground, right? I mean, that's it's quite a common thing. Now, Jewish law stated that as long as the owner of the field, that which this guy would have been in, as long as the owner of that field had not physically lifted and taken possession of the treasure that was in his field, the treasure technically did not belong to him. So there were certain circumstances because there were from time to time people would discover buried treasure because that's what you did with treasure. You sometimes would bury it if you were under threat of invasion. There were certain circumstances where workers were required to report the treasure in which they found in the field that they were working but this instance, the property owner did not ever take possession of the treasure and the worker was not required to report the treasure that he had discovered. Now, that being said, discovering buried treasure wasn't something that happened every day, right? So this guy basically won the lottery, right? He, he, he found this treasure. It was, he found it. He didn't have to report it to the owner. He could sell all his stuff and buy the field and get the treasure for himself. All right. Let's move on now to Matthew 
chapter 13, verse 45, the next parable, okay? These two are related. Again, so we can see Jesus using this word again. So this is this parable we just read about the hidden treasure and the parable we're about to read about the pearl are connected. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so the first guy, complete dumb luck, maybe trips over the treasure as he's walking through this field, has no need to report it, he finds it, gets it. This parable is about a guy who knows the value of the treasure. He knows the value of the treasure. He, he seeks after the treasure. He doesn't just stumble across it, but he, he's searching for this, this pearl, this, this valuable pearl, and he finds it. In recognizing the value of this pearl, he goes and sells all that he has and buys this one pearl because he knows of the incredible value of this one pearl. It's not dumb luck. This guy's a merchant. He knows his trade. He knows the value of the pearl. Now, as we read this parable, okay, a couple, couple quick thoughts, right? Jesus is not asking the morality of the guy who found the treasure and did not report it, right? So you can see this and think, well, what a, should he have reported the treasure that he found or should he not have? I mean, whose, whose treasure really was it? I mean, but that's not the question Jesus is asking as he's going through this parable. He's not dealing with the morality of whether this guy should have reported the treasure or he had the right to keep it a secret. But what both of these parables are communicating is the exceeding value of the treasure which has been discovered, right? And Jesus is relating this to the kingdom. So Jesus is talking about the exceeding value of the kingdom of God, right? It's the value, it's the worth, it's the supremacy, it's the greatness of, it's the glory of the kingdom of God above everything else in this world, right? This is, it's about the value of the treasure. It's about the value of the kingdom of Jesus talking about. And so whether you've stumbled upon the kingdom, randomly you showed up to a, a church meeting that someone invited you to, or you've been searching your whole life about, you know, is there a God out there? And you're, you're researching, you're looking at different things. Whether one of those two things is true, both people in this parable see the value. They see the worth. They see the exceeding glory of this treasure, this pearl that they've discovered. And they, have, they sell all that they have to acquire this treasure. All right, a couple things I want to talk about as we close. I told we keep it short this morning because we've got a cookout to go to and looking forward to this. Number one, Jesus is communicating with these short parables the supreme worth and value of of the kingdom of God and ultimately the supremacy of Jesus Christ himself. Philippians 3 verses 8 and 9 reads this. Indeed, this is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, the, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God 
that depends on faith. Right? The Apostle Paul's like, everything else that I had is, is rubbish. I will sell it all. I'll get rid of everything because of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's something in this treasure of Jesus Christ that has supreme value over everything else in this world. And according to our culture in which we live in, it makes no sense. Why would anyone ever give to a a church or give to a missionary or support, uh, support ministries? Why would anyone burn vacation time to serve the church? Why would anyone choose to show up on a Sunday morning regardless of all other commitments that you have on a beautiful day nonetheless? Because there is a king and a kingdom that far exceeds anything else on this earth. Because there is a king and a kingdom that has surpassing greatness and value than anything else we can possibly imagine on this earth. Number two, we are called to abandon everything that would come between us and our king. We're called to abandon everything that would come between us and our king. So think about this. In, in Luke chapter 18, we read the story of Jesus encountering the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to him and says, I want to follow you. And what did Jesus tell the rich young ruler? He says, get rid of some of your stuff, right? No, what does he say? Get rid of everything. Sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Now, the very next chapter in Luke chapter 19, Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, also a very wealthy man. What does Zacchaeus do? Does he get rid of everything? How much does he get rid of? Gets rid of half. Jesus is like, well done. Man, way to go. So for one guy it was everything, for the next guy it was half. Here's the thing. Both of those, or for Zacchaeus in particular, it is a joy-filled response to Jesus. See, for each one of us, there are, our lives are so unique, and the challenges that you and I face are different from one another, our life circumstances, the things that we've experienced growing up, our, our, our positions in life now, our, where we're at with, 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 with all that we are, God is particularly talking and calling to each one of us. God's calling to us, right? What does he say? His sheep do what? They, they hear his what? Hear his voice, right? His sheep hear his voice. He is speaking. He's not silent. His people, his sheep, his flock, you and I hear his voice. And he's calling to us. Some of it may be everything. For some it may be half. For some it may be one item. Maybe it's a relationship. Who knows what it is? The Lord does. I can't prescribe exactly. I can't give you a percentage. Well, if you only give up a third, you'll be okay, or a half. Or He doesn't do that. But it's a joy-filled decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's not a burden, it's a joy-filled response. When 
on the wedding, uh, on Michelle and I's wedding day, staying before the church at the altar, saying yes to Michelle meant saying no to all future romantic relationships with anyone else. A yes meant a no, but it wasn't a begrudging, well, I guess so, if I have to, I mean, if, if we're going to get married, I suppose I should do this. It is a joy-filled yes. Amen. Absolutely. Give up everything for this one thing. In the same way, God's calling us, you and I, to see the, the exceeding value and worth of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus Christ himself, for the exceeding joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And he's calling you and I as well to see the exceeding value of who he is, to be able to joyfully surrender whatever he calls us to, to follow him. What area of my life, what area of your life have you been unwilling to let go of in order to fully obey the Lord? As I've been praying for you, praying for this church, my prayer is that we would hear the voice of the Lord speaking loud and clear to us. That whatever He's calling you and I to specifically, whether it's a matter of, of trusting Him, a matter of waiting on Him, whether it's a matter of, of working through difficult situations, humbling ourselves, saying we're sorry, making right a relationship, sharing our faith, obeying Him, turning away from sin, whatever it may be. I wonder what area of our lives that we've said to the Lord, God, I know, it's, I know what you're calling me to, but I am unwilling to sell everything. I'll sell a little bit. Let me just hold on to some things. Surely you're not asking me to do that. It's too much. And I wonder if the Lord would be asking us even now as I speak, the Holy Spirit would be putting his finger on areas of our lives that we would be able to say to the Lord, God, help me. Lord, please help me. And he has promised, he is faithful. He will help us. He's not forsaken us, he's not forgotten us. God is faithful. I want to just invite Cameron, Cameron up here to share his testimony. I don't know where the, where the handheld mic is. As I was working through this this message, Cameron's testimony came to mind. And I don't, Cameron, I don't think you've ever shared your testimony yet Sunday morning. Have. You have? Okay. Well, forget you. Just go sit down then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just want us just to take a moment just to consider the work that the Lord has done in Cameron's life and the testimony of God's faithfulness to him. And then we'll wrap things up. I would say that God did an incredible work in my life. Um, and it was not what I had in mind when I got started on my journey. 
it all started from really just opening up the word and believing what it said. Uh, the word was handed to me by a good friend of mine who, who I trusted his opinion. And I, uh, he said that, you know, my grandfather just gave me this Bible. I think that there's a lot of truth in, in what's in here. Let's, let's investigate. And I didn't raise up in a, I wasn't raised up in a home that, that, you know, that put value in the word of God like I do with my family today. Um, but I just believed, you know, and so my conversion or my understanding is not so different than probably everyone here who believes uh, the truth was just made plain to me through God's word. And I had a choice. I had a choice to either believe what it said or had a, I had a choice to continue in my own ways and my own thoughts and my own. And I hope everything works out in the end. But the spirit really came in and convicted me and said, you know, what you're reading is true. You know, as far as what Johnny shared this morning about giving it all up. Um, it, the more I read, the more clear it became that there were aspects of my life. There were things who I was, who I identified with, that were in direct conflict with who God was. I was at enmity with God, and I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice to either hold on to who I was or pursue this newfound truth that I, I believed. Um, you know, Paul says that he considered... Uh, I think it was Romans 8, he says, you know, I consider that this light and momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And, you know, this he considered, he he believed, he decided in his mind that the things that he, the small light and momentary affliction is not worthy to be compared to the glory of God. And and I think that that, that was a verse that really kind of just made it clear to me it's like this light and momentary affliction sometimes my light and momentary affliction looks like this you know i don't want to or i'm not really feeling like it or you know this is going to be hard for me so i don't want to do it uh, but that's really just my selfishness and my own desires and that that light and momentary affliction if i give that up if i allow that uncomfortable feeling of doing what i don't want to do for the glory of god it's it's going to be far outweighed by how powerful um, you know, the glory that is to be revealed within me. Anyways, I just want to encourage everyone that, uh, I mean, the choice is clear, in, at least to me it was. It's like, um, you know, it's worth it. It's worth it. God's, everything is worth it. So all the promises are worth it. Amen. Thanks, Cameron. So I quote, close with this quote. Craig Blomberg says this, True disciples are those who recognize that God's kingdom is so valuable that it's worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be its citizens. And so this morning, the invitation to you is this, that maybe it's all of life. Maybe you've never surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never seen that treasure. Maybe you've never seen the surpassing worth and value of Jesus Christ or his kingdom. Maybe you thought about Christianity, it's just another kind of add-on to an already busy life. And I believe what God is inviting you to this morning is to a response to him that says, Jesus, you, would you be my everything? 
That no matter where I am or what I've done or whatever experiences I've had in my life, Jesus, that you would be that treasure. That you would be that pearl of great value. That whatever you're calling me to, Lord, I will abandon myself to that and follow you. Maybe there's some of us here this morning who maybe it's not an all-of-life thing, but maybe it's just there's pockets of our life that we've refused to, to surrender to the Lord and where he's called us to, to, to lay ourselves down and to, to sell what we have and, and to acquire him. Maybe there's an area of our lives that we need to re- go before the Lord and repent and seek his mercy and his grace that we would, we would find that great value and great delight. And you know what? Some of this, some of this is a walk of faith. Because sometimes we can see this and we know in our hearts, Lord, this is right. God, following you, trusting you is right. And Lord, even though the emotions may not be there, maybe that joy isn't, I haven't fully experienced this joy. There is an obedience of faith that says, God, I believe and trust that you are more valuable. You are more glorious and majestic than anything else. And because of that, I'll lay down all that I have, all that I am, sell everything that you want me to so that I can follow you with all my heart. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we pray this morning, God, that you would help us. Jesus, For those of us who've never surrendered our lives to you, Lord, I pray, God, that we would trust you and believe you. God, that we would lay our lives down before you. And God, for those pockets of our lives, Lord, where we have either refused or we have been hesitant to do so, God, because we don't really believe that it's your kingdom's greater and more majestic, God, I pray. Give us eyes to see you. Lord, help us, we pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen.